So what was Dr. Swindoll saying? 1 Corinthians 13, most frameable love quote in Scripture. 1 John chapter 4, probably one of the most in-depth treatises on what it means to love and how to love. And of course, the premise of this chapter, we have seen over and over again as we've studied 1 John, it is the premise that if we understand God's love, that transformation that happens when you trust in Jesus, that change that takes place in that moment, God's love now can live through you. And it changes, and as the very first point of what I want to share describes, it distinguishes our love from any other kind of love because it becomes a divine love. As we become a a channel, a conduit for God to express his love. And John, that's that's the commitment, That's that's the imperative, the command he gives to this young congregation. He says to them, dear friends, again, it's a statement of love, it's a statement of concern, it's a statement of compassion. John is recognizing he truly, significantly loves the people that he has pastored and influenced over the years. Dear friends, let us love one another. First John chapter four, verse seven. I put it in the chat so everybody could find it online. First John chapter four, verse seven. Let us love one another. And then in verse seven, he gives us three real simple reasons why we should love one another, why the church should be the pinnacle example of love in our society. Because first of all, he says, love is from God. Love is not an innately human activity. We tend to think it because we experience it. Actually, what we typically experience is infatuation or crushes or things that get a little more sordid than that. True, pure love comes from God and is experienced not because we initiate it or accomplish it, but because God wants to love us. Love comes from God. We were created, you and I were designed by God for one simple reason. He loves us. It wasn't about our careers or our education or our accomplishments or our prosperity. It wasn't about any of the things that we tend to measure life by. It was one very simple reason. Why did God create us? Because he loves us. He wants to know us. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to sit down and have that cup of coffee. He wants to have those talks. He wants to walk with us. He wants to be with us in our most difficult moments. Love comes from God. It distinguishes us. It makes us different than the rest of the world. And that love should be characteristically obvious in everything we do. Not only is it from God, everyone who loves, and John is using the very word here that describes in his language a love that is unconditional in nature. It is the example of Jesus' love for the church in its sacrifice and in its grace and in its mercy. And John is, so John's not talking about what we experience or see on TV or what's in the cards that we're gonna send out next week. John's talking about the immensity of an unconditional, grace-filled, mercy-filled love that is experienced because God has initiated it. It's from God. And when you come to know God, when you make the decision, when you, when you take that little simple step of faith and say, yes, I'm going to believe in Jesus. Yes, I want a relationship with God. When that moment happens, we are born of God. And you know, God now dwells in us, lives in us. We're not God, but it's him living and working in us. That love now is distinguishable because it's God's love inside of us. 
speaking to us, changing our life, transforming us. He adds in addition to that, not only is everyone who loves has been born of God, but everyone who loves knows God. It carries forth our distinction. A verse I quote to you all the time was out of Jesus' words in the New Testament. When Jesus commanded us to love one another. And to me, the most amazing thing is Jesus himself said his love is a distinguishable love. It is a love that, that separates us out. He said the rest of the world will know, comprehend, understand that we are his followers when we love one another. And so in our relationships, God has changed us. He's enabled us to love. And so now we love one another, and that love goes forth. It's not just a Sunday morning love. It's a love that changes our relationships this afternoon at home. It's a love that changes our relationship with coworkers tomorrow when we're at, when we're at our office or on a job site. It's a love that changes who we are as students when we go to school under all the pressures and, and circumstances. And if there was ever a time, if there was ever a point of history when the world needed to understand, see, and experience distinguishable love that comes from the very heart of God and is lived out in the life of his believers, it is right now. It's right now. I was on a conference call Monday, Friday morning with our school district, the school district our church sits right in the middle of. And to listen to the superintendent talk about the stress, not just of the administration and the teachers and, and navigating a pandemic when students need to be get together, but the stress and the tensions that students are having at home, those who have had to stay away or shelter in place. It's tragic. There was never, in my opinion, definitely in my lifetime, but I'm tempted to be real exorbitant in my words and say, maybe in the history of the world, has there ever been an opportunity for the church to show God's love at a time when most people are significantly stressed, confused, and disillusioned about their world? Let's let them know. God is a God of love. God has given us love. We've received it. We know him. We've been born of him. We've been changed and transformed by him. We know him personally. And we can share his love because he's asked us to. He's asked us to share our best friend, him, with the world around us. And our world needs it. Esoteric, political, even Legislated love has never changed a heart. But God inspired and lived and experienced love changes anyone's heart who comes in contact with it. Let's just be distinguishable. Let's, let's have people say about us, what is so different about those people at First Baptist Tombaugh? Not because the pastor threatened to wear pink next Sunday, but because we love and we love one another and when it doesn't matter to us, all the things around us, we just want to love. Now, John's a very practical man and he reminds us in verse eight that love can be quenched, that it is a quenchable love. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's very characteristic, his very being, his very essence is his love, and that's why the love has come from him. But it is possible to quench divine love by refusing 
to know him by rejecting his offer of love and assuming somehow we can manage it on our own when it is not our innate characteristic to love. Oh, we have images of love. We, we have those moments that are romantic in nature. So I'm not, I'm not saying that if somebody's listening and hopefully somebody who doesn't know Christ is listening, hopefully you're inquiring about what spirituality means and that's why we teach the Bible is so that you can understand our perspective from a biblical worldview. Yes, we, we can portray love. We can characterize it in all kinds of numbers of ways. And we're not saying that non-Christians are hateful people. We're not saying that unchurched people aren't loving people. In, in the secular world, they, they can do love all the time. What John's saying is there's a substantive difference. Oh, yes, you have those iconic moments. You have those iconic moments in movies went through a whole series of messes and mistakes and, and troubles and discord. The guy gets up at dawn, holds a jukebox in the air, plays Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes outside her window as if somehow that's gonna make her dad happy. <laughs> yes, those are iconic moments. How many times do we watch over and over again? Maybe you don't. I do, Carrie and I do. When Mel Gibson brings that World War I, World War II airplane back over the hill off the ocean and lands it in the front yard, and he's 150 years old because there's been some kind of time warp thing going on, and he holds the girl that he loved 150 years ago. Oh no, these are old stuff. How about Captain America, huh? Guy's dead, guy's dead and buried in the ocean. But when he wakes up, there's that secretary scientist. I don't remember her name. Yeah, that's the one. He still loves her. Even though he's got the body of a 30-year-old, he'll go to the nursing home and sit with her and hold her hands. Oh, gosh, speaking of holding hands, what about the time when James Garner held his wife's hands in the last 30 seconds of that absolutely boring, horrible movie? I just cried. And cried, I want to cry right now. The one advantage to dying with the dementia is that um, it's hard on everybody else, but you really don't have a clue. And so, you know, I just, yes, I'm not saying the world is absent of love, but there is a substantive qualitative difference. It's been a number of years, but Carrie has the quote still sitting on our refrigerator. I was at a graveside of a man who had been buried, for, I mean, who had been married, <laughs> not buried. <laughs> I was at a gravesite where Barry and his wife, he had been married for over 70 years, and uh, everybody kind of dispersed and walked out, and it was just the two of us kind of standing there, and I, I looked at him and I said, Bill, I said, Bill, how, how did you do this for 70 years? And I was thinking about all the marriage conferences I've gone to and been a part of, and I'm thinking, you know, okay, he's gonna tell me something good. Like I remember one marriage conference, literally 30 years ago, when the guy said, call your wife every time you're headed home. Just let her know you're headed home. In a, in a, in a state with um, license to carry laws, this is a safe idea as well. Um, but you know, I was waiting for some kind of tidbit like that. And he looked at me and he said, pastor, the only way you can stay married 70 years is to love Jesus more than you do your spouse. He understood this. He got this. That without faith, yes, you can love. 
Without faith, you can have romance. Without faith, you can get tingly all over. Without faith, you can feel good about yourself and good about somebody else. But faith changes it substantively in a way that is sustainable for the entirety of your life. And that's why the old wedding vows, the traditional wedding vows say, for better or worse, because you will experience better or worse in marriage. For richer or for poor, because there's a real good chance you're going to experience that as well in sickness and in health. It is, all kidding aside, it is a beautiful picture, a beautiful image. Whether it's in a movie or it was on the news a few months ago, a couple that both had COVID, been married over, I think it was 60 years, died holding hands in the nursing home. They were allowed to be together. They made an exception to allow them to be together. They died within 20 minutes of one another. Personally, I think that's an awesome idea to leave all the other stuff to the kids to take care of. Um, I, I, love, I love the A.A. Milne quote. It sits on my desk here. It sits on my desk at the house when a Piglet and Pooh are walking together. And they say, I just, I want to live and be with you for 99 years minus one day after your departure. That'd be, I'd be just fine to go 24 hours ahead of Carrie because I don't even, I can't even imagine 24 hours without her. And Bill tells me the only way that works, the only way he saw it work, the only way he could stand at that graveside where his wife was, was being interned was because he had loved Jesus most. He said only Jesus can make this happen. And that's why I'm encouraging you. Love can be quenched. And the quickest way to quench love is to be a person without faith. Trust Jesus. You want to give your husband the, the greatest Valentine's gift he's ever received? Then stop right now and just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I want to be forgiven. And I want to know you. Change my life. Jesus, come and be a part of my life. Your husband goes to bed every night praying that somehow you would understand the level of love that he understands. Your wife comes to our Bible studies every Tuesday and Wednesday morning, praying with her friends that when she got, gets home, somehow during the day you made the final decision to surrender, to let Christ change your life and that she would have a husband who is capable of loving her the way the scripture describes it as Christ loved the church. She has been longing for that. And the greatest thing you could do for her in this moment is surrender. And it's not a bad thing to surrender, especially when you recognize it is a greater one that you're surrendering to. And that's exactly who Jesus is. He's the greater one that can love your wife through you the way he loves her. You'll never do it without him. It's not possible. You can buy her everything, provide her everything, do everything, keep your body physically fit for her. You can do all those things, but you will never love her the way Jesus loves her until you know the love of Jesus. You have to know him to love like him. And so you just stop and say, yes, Jesus, I've been running and I'm done running. I want to trust you. Come and be the Lord of my heart. Make me the husband my wife deserves. Let him begin changing our lives. Why? Because God's love is actually that easy. It's attainable. 
John says in verse nine, God's love was revealed among us in this way, and he gives two, two examples. God sent his one and only, his only begotten in the old languages. God sent his one and only son into the world. Jesus came here so that we might know him personally and have God's love personally so that we might live through him, that we might have the fullness and the greatest part of our life ahead of us because we know him. Because we prayed like I just prayed a moment ago and said, yes, Jesus, I'm willing to trust you. I want to know you. I want to understand your love. It's attainable love. There's no exception clause here. Anybody who comes to Jesus, anybody who says, Jesus, I'll follow you, anybody who asks Jesus to be a part of their life, come and, and live in the seat of their life, in their heart, anyone who does that meets him, knows him, is changed by him. I love the way Paul said in Romans chapter 10, Paul said to those who are inquiring about Jesus but uncertain about how that is, he says, anyone who has called on the name of the Lord has never been put to shame. Think about that for a moment because tomorrow at the office, you're likely to get shamed. If you watch the TV this afternoon, you're likely to be shamed. If you, if you do any number of activities, you're likely to be shamed, but God promises through his word that if you'll trust him, you'll never be put to shame. God is the one shameless environment available to us. It's attainable love. Meet him, know him. In fact, John, he expands on this in verse 10, says love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God already knows that I'm incapable of loving God already knows that I'm incapable of loving him. He's not expecting me to reach some standard before I know him. He says, let me take you just as you are. Let me work in and through you to become the man you need to be, should be, and want to be. That's not because we love God. That's not what makes this church different because we love God. It's simply that we understand God loves us and that we've responded to that love. And the very last part of verse 10 And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for all our sins. Yeah, we've messed up. We all mess up. Everybody messes up. And God knew that. And God knows that. There is nothing any one of us has done in the hidden parts of our lives and hearts that God isn't already aware of. And that's the reason he sent Jesus. So that we have a pathway for wholeness. We have a pathway for forgiveness. God's love will, as it's described in Scripture, cover over a multitude of sins. I actually like the way the Old Testament says it. He can wash us and cleanse us as white as snow. I can take my dirty, soiled garment of life and hand it to Jesus and let him transform it into something beautiful. Then I can love my family the way I should. Then I can love my coworkers the way I should. Then I can love my fellow students the way I should. Then I can love my church the way I should. He's a good, good God. He loves us. Father, help us in this moment as we prepare to worship again to trust you. There is no way I can know the thoughts on every heart in here today or every heart that's online with us at this moment. But I know your heart. I know the extent to which you want to love and I know the extent to which you have made your love available to us. And so I'm trusting you. I am honestly, sincerely asking you to forgive 
my sin. Give me a new life. Give me a new heart. Give me the capacity to love, not because I understand it or can do it, but because you are love and you can live that through me. Jesus, I trust you right now in this moment. I ask you to be a part of my life. 